0: you're listening to Between the Reads Blacktober series, we'll be sending chills down your spine throughout the month of October with creepy and sinister books written by Black authors. Are you looking for a spooky read where Black people are the villains? Want some horror where Black people don't die first? Join us all month long because we've got some books for you. Check us out on Instagram at Between the Reads Podcast for even more chilling tales of horror written by Black authors. And now, here's your haunted host, Audra Russell. Felix Demaro was born in Nigeria, the youngest of five children. He moved to Canada when he was four and was raised in Toronto, Ontario, in neighborhoods that were considered to be at risk. In those neighborhoods, Demaro learned hard lessons at a young age about things like discrimination, desperation, and death, but also about strength, survival and passion. A graduate of the University of Toronto with a BA in psychology, his upbringing and interest in the human mind both factor into the stories that Demaro writes. Stories that usually center around human monsters, theology and issues of morality. When he isn't trying to figure out the meaning of life and the fundamental nature of humankind, he is usually reading, running, falling down YouTube rabbit holes or watching episodes of The Simpsons. DeMero is the author of the horror anthology, How to Make a Monster, The Loveliest Shade of Red, Bug Spray," A Tale of Madness, Viral Lives, A Ghost Story, and the dystopian time travel thriller, 2222. DeMero, welcome to Between the Reads, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate
0: it. I appreciate you. Stick with me, y'all. This is my first time we are recording audio through Zoom because my normal platform that I record on, they made some new feature, and I have had problems ever since, and Felix has stuck with me through all of this craziness, so we, this is something new we are trying. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, and then I blew his ears out because I said hello, and he was like, oh, my God. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was nice to hear you, though, after waiting for so long.
0: <laughs> oh sorry. So let's just get right into this novella, "Viral Lives: a Ghost Story." Mm-hmm. Now at the end of the book, you have a little commentary about websites that actually exist that post gory photos and videos <laughs> of violent things happening to people. Was this the inspiration for your book?
1: It was and it wasn't. It was one of those things where a lot of things combined to sort of inspire this book. The first time I really thought of this idea, I was running by a graveyard and I saw that it looked um, sort of more interesting than most graveyards I'd ever seen. There was no fencing. It was sort of open and it looked like maybe it had been there for about 100 years. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, maybe I should take a picture. And then I thought to myself, something in there is going to haunt you if you do. So maybe you should just keep running. And then (laughs) I continued to run. And I had that idea in my mind of stopping, of taking pictures of just in society, how much we no longer intervene or help, we are mm-hmm. more observers and recorders and posters so that we can get a reaction. Mm-hmm. It's almost like we're dispassionate about what we're seeing, even while we're seeing it, because even when we're looking at the things that we're recording, we're not thinking about them, we're sort of thinking of the reaction we're going to get to them. Mm-hmm. So those things sort of stayed in my mind. And then about a year after I had the first thought, I was like, okay, maybe I should really really focus on the story. And I didn't, I wrote, and I'm, I'm pretty, um, I'm pretty glad about the way it turned out.
0: Yes, it was a very page turning, creepy, shocking read. I, I, it's, it's a quick novella. It's about a hundred pages, but it was, you know, I was just turning, turning, turning the pages. It's one of those stories that keeps you involved because you're just like, wait a minute what's what what like the just the it's it's a really good story and so i'm going to jump ahead a couple of questions because of what you pointed out um that many times we see videos posted on social media um of horrible things happening to people and we have to wonder why is the person filming this just standing there filming instead of helping so is this book your political statement of sorts of how social media has made us a society of kind of these voyeuristic people anesthetized to
1: violence? Um, First of all, thank you for the compliment. I appreciate all that you said about the book. Um, And secondly, I I wouldn't say it's political, but I would say it's more of a social commentary because- I'm a, I'm the sort of person that where I go when I go out, I don't really take a lot of photos, I don't record a lot of things. I try to live in the moment. Mm-hmm. And when you're living in the moment, you are sort of hyper aware of how many people aren't. So you'll be at a baseball game, you'll be at a party, and you'll just see like everybody is is just glued to their phones. And I'm old enough to remember a time where that wasn't always the case. Like when mm-hmm. I started to go out, phones were sort of were sort of brand new. Mm -hmm. And now you see how things have shifted, how every time you go somewhere, it's not about the it's not about the the experience that you're going to have. It's about the reaction you're going to get in the future from posting about the experience. So it's just something that's that's interested me because I know it's the way society is now. There's not much that we can do to turn back, Mm -hmm. but it's 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 troubling in in some ways. And -hmm. and I just wanted to present that in a way that people could relate to and also have fun with at the same time with the idea of a a ghost haunting your phone for Mm
0: -hmm. wanting to
1: be too much of a purveyor.
0: Right. Absolutely. So why don't you tell our readers are probably wondering what the hell we're talking about. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what Viral Lives is about?
1: (laughs) Okay. Viral Lives is about... uh, a young man named Simon who makes a living part-time by recording incidents that happen in rough parts of the city that he lives in. So he goes around recording um, fights, he goes around trying to capture anything that might get um, the video that he has taken a sale. So he might hang out at a club after after hours and sort of see if there's anything nefarious that's going to go down and try to sell whatever video he gets for the highest price. And on one occasion, on one um, to him, it was a lucky night. He happens to capture a person um, in the middle of a single car, single vehicle car accident. So mm-hmm. basically, he sees somebody crash, get hurled out of their car, and instead of helping this person he decides to record it because he knows this recording will get him a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So the person is asking him for help while he's recording them die and Mm -hmm. he's ignoring the person. And basically he records them, lets the person die and then goes about his day as if nothing had happened. In fact, he goes about his day and he was very excited about what he had just done. Mm
0: -hmm. And everything goes left from there. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So how did you become aware of these gore sites? I'm curious.
1: I I basically outlined it in the story, the stuff that I talked about, um, the videos, Faces of Death, before the internet even became a huge thing, there were these videos called Faces of Death that, were always circulated in my neighborhood. I don't know who brought them in. I don't know which video stores that they got them from, Mm -hmm. but they were always circulated. I don't think I ever personally watched one, but I know my older brothers had, and they told me about it. And I was just like, why would anybody watch that? Mm. And then later on when the internet became a bigger thing, when I was about um, maybe 13 or 14, there was a site. And I mentioned this at the back of the book or maybe inside the book as well called Mm rotten.com. And Somebody had sent me a link and it was just, it was the most, and I'm a little kid, but it was the most horrific thing I'd ever seen. But I'm like, I'm like, okay, let me check out more of this. Let me mm-hmm. check out this. I remember, and I still remember some of these images. There was one where it was like, oh, check out uh, what a person's head looks like when it's been caught in the rotators of a helicopter. Oh. And, then, yeah, and then you saw it in all of its gory detail. And then there's another one that was like, oh, what a face looks like when it's been shot at point blank range range with a shotgun. And I clicked on that too. And after a while, I'm, I'm questioning myself. Even back then, I was I, I was always in sort of introspective person. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why am I clicking on this? Why am I still going to this site? And right. I, I'm not going to lie. I went to the site about a, a handful of times until mm-hmm. I realized this is not for me and there's something very wrong with it. Mm-hmm. But even back then, there were a lot of people clicking on those sites. And to this day, there are still sites like that that people seek out. And now that the attention seeking has gotten even further. And I mentioned this at the back of the book as well. There's a site that somebody literally recorded himself um, dismembering somebody.
0: Right. And And you said they got caught.
1: Exactly. And that's Mm -hmm. how they got caught.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when you started writing this book, did you just recall, you're like, oh, wait a minute, let me add this, like, you know, when you were developing this character, is that you just, you know, recalled this from your, you know, your younger days and decided to incorporate that into the book.
1: Exactly. Yeah. When I'm writing my stories, I try to keep them as close to, to things that I know and that I've experienced as much as possible. Even when the stories are kind of like wild and zany and out there, Mm -hmm. like supernatural Mm -hmm. sort of things, I try to keep them close to to my own personal experiences. So that book viral lives, even though it's a ghost story, Mm -hmm. it involves a lot of the things that I've either seen or I'm concerned about or, Mm that I reflected upon and found troubling with myself. Like mm-hmm. there's times where I'm, cause I run around a lot. So when you run, you see things all the time. Like mm-hmm. you almost get hit by cars all the time. Like there's always something that's going on. And sometimes I ask myself, what if I saw something terrible? Would I stop and record it? Or would I do the right thing immediately first? Mm-hmm. And I know I would do the right thing, but sometimes there's that thought of, all right you should record it like that's what people do now and that sort of it it upsets me a little bit like because it's it's something i don't associate myself with being but it, there's also that that societal urge that this is what people do this is what you should do share 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 everything
0: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so now in viral lives simon is constantly confronted with moral choices and he doesn't have the best moral compass in the world no and it has an impact on everyone around him including people he doesn't really know and i'm just curious is this a this a theme that kind of runs throughout all your books or was that just specific to this book
1: i like to write about really shitty characters like i like to, <laughs> <laughs> i love to write about like just really terrible human beings and the best part of writing about terrible human beings is the feedback that I get when people say I could really relate to this person because that's what I'm going for and I've written some scummy characters and people will be like yeah I can relate and I feel conflicted about that and that's exactly what I want to do because there's there's a little bit of a monster in all of us and I when I'm writing I'm trying to show that hey this is a terrible person but given different circumstances, this could also be you. With Viral Lives, I wanted to keep it more about social commentary and talk about society in general instead of just Simon, which is why I didn't go too much into his background. But with most of my stories, I really go in depth about what makes these people monsters and why they do things that they do. And I think that's why people can relate more more often than not with Simon not too many people could relate because I just wanted him to be a scumbag and I wanted to to talk about what was going on around him more so than him himself
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so was there any epiphanies that you had while you were writing viral lives that just kind of really shocked you
1: no I can't say I can't say there was anything that really did because I, I came into to the book armed with all of that knowledge, I've been seeing those graphic videos and, and learning about these things since I was literally a child, right? So it was just my way of putting it out there. There wasn't really much that, that shocked other than the fact that a lot of these sites still do get millions and millions of clicks. I thought wow. maybe after all these years that might've died down a bit, but it seems as if they're as popular as ever. Mm, that's a little scary. It is.
0: Yeah. And Viral Lives, it was definitely a gritty novella, but it wasn't done in a way that cheapened the story. You didn't just have violence for the sake of having violence or gore for the sake of having gore. It had a purpose. So talk to us about that.
1: That's something that I, that I try to strive to do in all of my writing. I, I read a lot of horror and I, See, I don't want to sound like a jerk, but I think I dislike what I read more than I like. And that's not to say I hate everything that I read. It's just that there's not a lot that makes me feel passionate unless it's something that is meaningful. So when I write, I don't want to just write horror for the sake of horror or throw blood in there just because that's what people expect. I want to be able to write um a horror novel that's completely bloodless if if necessary and Mm -hmm. still be able to scare the shit out of people because of what's going on with the characters what's Mm -hmm. going on and what's really impacting them and what the reader can relate to Mm -hmm. so I try to avoid cheap scares it's like when you're watching a horror movie and there's a bunch of jump scares in there after a while it doesn't really pay off. Right. Right. So Mm -hmm. I try to keep things really psychological to a point where that people, people can relate and I want them to feel a little bit disturbed about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause that, you know, the whole time while I'm reading this book, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, to myself and I'm kind of yelling at Simon through the whole thing saying, you dummy if you just (laughs) hadn't done this one thing if you had been more concerned with your humanity than you know how much money you might get or how many views you might get maybe you wouldn't be going through all like I I did not feel sorry for him at all I just didn't and then there I'm not giving it away but then you know there was that situation
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and (laughs) I was I I had an inkling I was like, did he do this with, with? I was like, no. I, and yes, I'm talking in circles because if you want to know what I'm talking about, you need to read this book. This is This is one of the ones you definitely want to grab. But when that whole situation came together at the baby shower, I was just like, you know, I was sitting there Like with my proverbial popcorn, just watching everything like your whole shit is going to implode now, buddy, because you you brought this on yourself. I did not feel even the littlest bit sorry for him, like at all, at all.
1: (laughs) And that's good. I was was hoping most people wouldn't feel sorry for him. And I was surprised to find that some people did at the end. They were they were kind of like Mm -mm. I felt a little bit bad for him. And Mm -hmm. I think that's cool, too. But I wanted people to really sort of feel satisfied during that last scene.
0: Right, exactly. I might have felt badly for him if he didn't make the other choices that he made. It's like he, he the universe kind of gave him this test, like you can choose this way or you can choose this way. And he always took the easier route even though it caused complete chaos for the other person involved in that decision. And I just, I couldn't stand that. So that's why I just, I just did not feel sorry for him at all.
1: You and know? that makes sense. And that's, that's sort of something that I enjoy exploring as well. Like I want people to pinpoint where things could go right for the character because mm-hmm. a lot of people will, will ask me if I, if I'm writing about things because I feel like the world is hopeless, but I feel like the world is full of hope if you make the choices that steer you in that hopeful direction. Mm -hmm. Right. And so Mm -hmm. often we'll take the easier route and what seems like immediate pleasure and we'll ignore all of the consequences to come.
0: Right. Exactly. Now, you obviously write horror books, Mm -hmm. but there's something that you said to me when we were talking initially and setting up the logistics of this show that stuck with me. When I was asking you um, about your books and I said I was going to read Viral Lives, you said, now the characters aren't black. Mm-hmm. and, you know, we had a little talk about that, and I said, Black authors don't have to just write Black characters, you know, and, and we had a little conversation about that. I don't know if you remember that. It's in our DMs, and I do. that was a huge statement, because not only does the traditional publishing industry think that, you know, Black people don't write horror, but they also think that any books we do write automatically only have black characters. So what's your response
1: to that? Um that's that's a very loaded question.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah,
1: it is. <laughs> and the thing is with writing black characters and the way that I write my stories I have to be very careful about what position I put a black character in. Mm-hmm. So like I said, I write about a lot of shitty characters, a lot of scummy people, mm-hmm. and I have to be aware of, of sort of where I'm putting a Black character. Like my last, my last release was uh, The Fire on Memory Lane, and it's about basically a deadbeat dad. Mm-hmm. He, he flamed out as a college athlete. He was playing football and basically was responsible for the death of his son through his irresponsible behavior. Now, I would have loved to make that a Black character, but imagine that as a Black male lead Mm -hmm. and all of the the stereotypes it reinforces. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like when I walk around in my personal life, I know that if I'm out there in public and I'm just, say, at the grocery store and I get into an argument with somebody, I know who I am. I know I'm Mm Demero, but everybody else that's seeing me is just seeing Black people. Mm -hmm. This is how Black people act. He's upset. He's angry. This is how Black people are. Mm-hmm. So what I try to do with my characters is to be very cognizant of not reinforcing stereotypes mm-hmm. when I'm putting um, a, a character in a certain position. So that's why some of my characters, my male characters are not Black. Um, as for the, ster- the the stigma or the stereotype that that people have of only Black people having Black characters, mm-hmm. it is sort of... I don't want to say it's a negative, but it's something that stops a lot of people from from wanting to read our books, which is unfortunate. It shouldn't, right? Whether or not you have a Black or, or a white character. But a lot of people, and I've heard this personally from, from, from people, would say, I don't fall into your demographic,
0: mm-hmm. right? So there's mm-hmm. just
1: this preconditioned um, Uh, um, expectation that everything that I write or that Black people write will have to do either with um, just Blackness or slavery or Mm -hmm. the stereotypical things that Black people are associated with. And I feel like that's unfortunate because people go into these, well, they don't even go into it. Sometimes they see it, even if they're interested, they'll ignore it because they have this expectation that it's not for them. And I think that's unfortunate because when you pick up a book, it should be essentially for everyone. Even if it's Mm -hmm. not targeted to you, it should be something that you learn from. So that's what I try to do with my books. And I have to be cognizant of of where I put certain Black characters. Did that answer your question or did I just ramble for a long time?
0: Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. And I think it also shows with with this book, especially, I haven't read your other work yet, but it just shows the the talent that, that we have as black authors, we don't have to write black characters. The characters in this book could be any color. They could be white. They could be black. They could be Puerto Rican. They could be Asian. It's, it's a situation that could happen to anybody. And I think that's what I like about this book is that even though you are a a black author, this book is just a book about something that could happen to anybody that just happens to be by a Black author, and I think that that kind of breaks down those stereotypes and those expectations that the traditional publishing world has of Black people, you know, it's either urban fiction or it's romance, like you said, or it's slavery or some type of, of trauma that mistakenly is always connected solely with the Black community.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And if you'll notice, if you noticed, I didn't actually mention anybody's race. Right. Right. Not A single time did I mention anybody's race. I think the closest I came was he has a neighbor that's from Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way you could identify um, identify his race. But in that book, the main character is white. His girlfriend is Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy at the baby shower who ended up being very upset, mm-hmm. uh, he was black. In my Mm -hmm. mind, I know what all these characters are, but sometimes I'll just leave race completely out of it because I want the reader, as I said, to sort of put themselves in the shoes of these characters. And it doesn't have to be the main character. I want you Mm -hmm. to be able to picture yourself in these characters' shoes. And sometimes eliminating the mention of race helps that along.
0: Absolutely. So now what got you into writing in the horror genre? Was there something specific that happened
1: or was it the...
0: Okay, go ahead. What was it?
1: No, I want to hear the rest of the question. If you have... No,
0: I was going to say, was it that was it the, um, you know, those websites when you were younger, you know, one of my authors, they said that their siblings used to like taunt them with horror movies. And so she, that's how she got into it. So I'm just wondering if there was like a pivotal moment for you. That's
1: exactly what it was. My I'm the youngest of five and my older siblings traumatized me as a child. <laughs> Like I was watching, I remember one of my earliest memories of watching movies was um, curling up on the couch with my aunt. And I usually I wouldn't do that because I yeah, for, for as long as I have, have been alive, I've considered myself, you know, sort of a tough guy. And they were watching Hellraiser and I was like six years old and I clung onto her as though those <laughs> demons were coming out of the TV and coming to get me. And that's one of my earliest memories of of really absorbing horror. And even though I was at that point in my life terrified by what I was seeing, I was still watching and I was still intrigued. And it wasn't just that it was scary creatures um, on the screen. It was sort of what the, the story was trying to say. And I didn't understand it all at that point, but I knew there was something deep in the story that I was watching that was pulling me back. So it was a lot to do with irresponsible older siblings and aunts and things of that nature. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. (laughs) So you were tortured as a child and Mm -hmm. that's how you got into horror. (laughs) Gosh. (laughs) And you're just like, yep.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And what's funny is my, my brother has a daughter now, my niece and he'll never let her watch any of the things that he was exposing to (laughs) exposing me to when I was like seven (laughs) or eight years old. But that's how life goes, right?
0: Right, right. Unfortunately. Yeah. (laughs) So now Black authors who write horror, in my opinion, had been vastly overlooked until Jordan Peele did his movie, Get Out. Yes. And then that followed by Us and then also Lovecraft Country, which funny enough was written by a white man because I actually read the book before there was even talk of a series, Yes. Um, but those things, those movies, really opened the public, the public's eyes to our presence in the horror genre. Um, at even though we've always been here, you know, you have people like Tanana Reeve Dew and Nalo Hopkinson, and you know, I could go and get a sheet that I have a list of you know horror authors that have been out here doing the work for a long time, but now they're being noticed because of this, you know, I don't want to call it a trend, but for white people it is, it's a trend that they see. Um, Mm -hmm. Have you seen a spike in the awareness of your books as a result of this trend for lack of a better term?
1: I, I would like, I can't exactly say I've seen a spike because I believe I published my first book around or after Get Out came out so i don't have a a comparison to make as what it might have been before that time Uh but i do believe that i am and i have benefited from um jordan peele's work and and what people are trying to do in hollywood by trying to make um black people in the forefront of horror and not just in the forefront in the way that they die first but like you're seeing saw coming out with Chris Rock, and you're seeing the new release of Candyman, and uh-huh. you're seeing a lot of, of horror that that represents Black people, not in a stereotypical way, and I'm really enjoying that. Okay. Um, so in terms of my own work, I do believe I am benefiting from that, because I think that without movies like like us and movies like Get Out, uh, people would feel even strongly stronger about the, the stereotype of, well, I can't watch this that's written or put out by a Black person because it's not going to relate to me. People saw those movies and they're like, wow, I, even though this is mostly a Black cast about mostly Black characters, we can still relate to this and we can still have that, that human emotion that comes with horror that keeps people coming back to horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think I am definitely benefiting from that. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of of white people reading my work and and appreciating it and coming mm-hmm. back to read more
0: mm-hmm. yep now share with us uh, with us the titles of uh, some of your other books
1: my other books my first book is how to make a monster the lovely shade of red you mentioned that in the intro that mm-hmm. is a, a an anthology of eight uh I would say short stories but they're not all short stories four of them are novellas Mm -hmm. and the rest are are shorter stories um and that that is probably the darkest thing I've ever written up until my next release that's coming out in December and that's that it's still even though it came out two years ago it still resonates with people and I still see people purchasing it pretty regularly and talking about it and And that's a book where I kind of just, I went into things from my life and things I've experienced with almost zero filter. Like there's things that I don't like to think about in that book. Like, and I know eventually I'm going to have to go back and read some of that stuff. And I don't look forward to it because that's how dark it gets. Mm. Um, But I know that it's necessary. And even though often people will tell me respectfully, listen, I read the first story. I can't read any more of this because it's too much. There's Mm. people who read it and are moved by it and will tell me, listen, you've you've written aspects of my life in this and I really appreciate you putting it out there. Um, That's my first book. I won't be as long-winded about the rest. Uh, (laughs) Enjoying
0: it, I'm totally enthralled. (laughs)
1: The next book that I put out was Bug Spray. And I put that out uh, not long after George Floyd died. It wasn't um, inspired by it at all, but it was a story that showcases sort of a lost Black man, excuse Uh me. And he's power hungry. He's good looking, driven, power power hungry, manipulative. He does everything to get what he wants and when you look at him he's he's probably one of the scummiest characters i've ever written but when people finish the book he's probably one of the characters that that people feel feel most strongly about like there's no in between people either love that character and can relate to him or they hate him and they're happy with with um how things sort of turn out in the book for everyone involved in his life Mm -hmm. um so it's just, and it's, it's not something that I, that I did to sort of intentionally put the Black struggle in the forefront, but when you're reading the book and you think it's about uh, just mental, mental illness and about this person sort of struggling with, um, with wanting to be at the top, but not being able to get there, you realize what has, what has dri- driven this person the entire time and what has driven this person is sort of basically the way society treats the Black man. And he doesn't even realize this. It's not like a conscious thing. He's not angry about how society is treating him. He's going through these things and he doesn't even notice why he is the way he is. But the reader starts to understand this is just society pushing a person to the limit. Mm-hmm. At least some of them do. Others are just rooting for him to die. But basically, there's there's a humanity in this story that that um, goes past race, and it it sort of focuses on society again, just like in Viral Lives, it focuses on how society makes us act a certain way based on how we feel. Society um, is is <clears throat> excuse me based on how we feel society's expectations. So. This person felt in Bugspray as if he needed to go to the top by any means necessary, and he didn't even understand why. But when you read the book and you see what has been going on since he was a child, you understand why he is the way that he is and why Mm -hmm. certain things happen to Black males that others in society don't experience.
0: Mm -hmm. So if a reader has just come across your body of work. Mm-hmm. what book would you suggest they read first?
1: It's tough <laughs> because, again, <laughs> a lot of them are, are, are pretty messed up, and I know not everyone can handle that sort of thing. And my, I think my most people-friendly book is 2222, which is okay. the time travel thriller. Uh-huh. And what's funny is I don't like time travel. I, I never <laughs> thought... <laughs> I never thought I would write a time travel book. And I okay. know when you say time travel to people, they sort of roll their eyes because time travel stories are usually pretty bad. There's plot holes. And I, I apologize to Michael J. Fox, fellow Canadian, wonderful man. Back <laughs> to the Future was full of plot holes and it was it was enjoyable, <laughs> but it was just, it made, if you really stopped to think about it for 10 seconds, it makes zero sense at all. Right, right. so I feel like People, when they hear time travel and sci-fi, they kind of get that feeling like, oh, this is not for me. But it's a story that sort of projects the world 200 years into the future, and we sort of see the consequences of everything that we're doing now. So the main part of that story is um, satellite cities. That's a huge component of, the, of, the, of that story. Um, basically, the world has become too overpopulated for people to live on the main continents. So these satellite cities are built basically man. excuse me, basically man-made islands that are built on the coasts of, of countries all around the world, starting in Africa. um, Mm -hmm. The first island was a joint collaboration between Nigeria and China, because Uh those are two severely overpopulated countries. Um, And it just, they, and you see people are sort of building these islands and not really taking care of the issue at hand. And then in the book, there's this, there's this entire conflict about, um, about population and what should be done. And this brings about a group of terrorists that are sort of um, anti-populationists. And their goal is to wipe out um, a majority or at least half of the world so that basically Earth can breathe again. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way they see fit to do that is to go back in time and retrieve a nazi weapon that has been buried since world war ii and the only person who knows how to use that weapon is adolf hitler and that's how he becomes involved in the story so it's very it's a very sort of complicated sounding story but when Uh you get into the book it's just a story about human beings trying to deal with um, the mistakes of people from the past mm-hmm. and how they can um, get over those mistakes and help the future become better, which mm-hmm. is what we're dealing with right now, like climate right. change. Mm-hmm. By by the And I highlighted in this story, like by the year 2050, there's going to be places in the US um, like Miami, like Seattle that are going to be at risk of going not totally underwater, obviously, mm-hmm. but at risk of no longer being able to stand as cities because their structures are, are in trouble and it's happening in Miami already. There's oh to, yeah, it is. Yeah. There's buildings collapsing and there's, mm-hmm. unfortunately there's going to be more. Mm-hmm. And it's just my way of, of saying, Hey, we kind of need to look at what's going on now before it turns into this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There was a little snippet at the end of um viral lives of 22, 22, I yes. believe, yeah, and I I saw, and there was also a little cartoon drawing. I was like, oh
1: wow, <laughs> <laughs> very intriguing. <laughs> yeah, so the way I wanted to present that book, um, I, "Viral Lives," actually is probably the most boring of the books in terms of presentation because I I like all of my books to to look very different than the than the previous. So okay. with twenty two twenty two, I wanted to make it sort of like. A graphic novel so when Mm -hmm. you go into that that novel there's 15 or so full page illustrations similar to the one that you saw Mm -hmm. so it's so i wanted to have a feel like you're reading a novel but you're also experiencing sort of like a comic book so and that sort of ties in with the theme of of sci-fi and time travel because a lot of people don't realize that they love sci-fi until they're told what like sci-fi is like there's people who would say, Oh, I don't really love sci-fi, but Mm. then they, they watch a million Marvel comics movies and that's, that's what sci-fi is. So I'm always trying to tie in elements that people sort of enjoy or that even that I enjoyed in my childhood and I loved reading comic books. So sometimes you'll see, Um, just a bunch of art in my books. And it's something that I appreciate and that I hope other people appreciate as well. And that's Mm -hmm. why I say Viral Lives is sort of the most boring of the books in terms of presentation, because there is no art in it. It's just Mm -hmm. basically straight text throughout. But every other book that I put out has some sort of art involved inside of it.
0: Okay. So now if someone said to you that you needed to defend the presence of Black writers in the horror genre, what would you, what would be your response?
1: If I needed to defend the presence of black writers? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly how, how I would respond or, <clears throat> other than to do what I, I'm doing and sort of say what I've been saying. I feel like it's, it shouldn't even be a question in a mm-hmm. sense. Like mm-hmm. you have black influences in everything mm-hmm. in, in terms of entertainment. And basically with horror, we've been shortchanged for so long where mm-hmm. it's, it's literally a punchline. Like everybody knows, oh, you see the... If you were alive in the 90s and mm-hmm. like early 2000s, you see a Black person in a the movie, they're literally just there to die first. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like maybe we should balance that out a little bit and mm-hmm. Black people should get a lot more representation. And when you get, when you get horror from... And you know what, honestly, I'm kind of a hypocrite in this because I haven't read a lot of horror written by by Black people because for the longest time, I didn't even think it existed. Right. Mm -hmm. When I first started writing um, my very first novel, which I still haven't done anything with, it's called Red Room. I wrote a character based on me and I made him Italian because I just didn't think that it was possible for me to to write horror and have a mm-hmm. black lead. Like that's how brainwashed I was at the time. And I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm, although I, I do feel bad about it, I understand that I've learned, right? Like, mm-hmm. and that's what life is, it's a learning experience. Mm-hmm. And I literally was brainwashed to the point where I thought, even if a character is based on me, he has to be white because mm-hmm. that's the only way he'll be accepted. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you watch, um, when you experience black horror, like the movie, his house on Mm -hmm. Netflix, I'm not sure if you watched it, but that, that is an, that's probably one of my favorite horror movies. And part of that is because it gives a different um, experience. It's about uh, a a family of immigrants or a a pair of immigrants that come from a country in Africa. Um, And I literally, I don't remember or else I would name the specific country. I hate when people just say Africa, right? Um, (laughs) They come from a country in Africa and they move to the UK and there's an entity that is in the house that um, that they move into but uh-huh. there's so much more to the story and it explores <clears throat> sorry um, African folk tales and explores like horror from a perspective that most people would never see it and another thing I love about that movie is it shows the difference in blackness like when these, when this African um, woman was in the UK, she went to go ask a bunch of British boys for directions.
0: And they, yes. They, I Okay. I know what you're talking about. Yes, mm-hmm.
1: exactly. Mm-hmm. And they heard her accent and they just grilled her and they blasted her because that is what they are taught. And this is something I've experienced in my personal life. Mm-hmm. I'm black. I was born in Nigeria. I'm an immigrant. When I mm-hmm. came here, when I came to Canada, mm-hmm. the worst prejudice that i experienced for a great deal of my life until i grew up and i under sorry until i grew up and i understood what real prejudice was was prejudice from other black people from caribbean people Mm -hmm. Um, i was literally as a child chased through the fields of my school being called african booty scratcher african bum cleaner just all sorts of things from people who who looked like me you know what i mean Mm -hmm, i thought mm -hmm. these were but we've been conditioned and brainwashed to think of Black people on sort of a scale. Mm-hmm. If you're a light-skinned Black person, you're the best. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're an African person, you're, you know, you're looked upon as a savage. If you're a dark-skinned person, you, and you, you were around in the 90s, dark skins got it bad. Like mm-hmm. They didn't, they didn't mm-hmm. have an easy time. Yep. Um, and if you're a dark-skinned African, then you have it the worst. I'm, I'm not super dark-skinned. Um, and my whole life, I was like, oh, I guess I'm fortunate to not be dark skin. And that's not, that's not something that anybody should ever think. Right. right? Mm -hmm. But that's the way, that's the way we've been conditioned to think. And even now in my country, in in Nigeria, if you turn on a Nollywood movie, if you turn on a Nigerian movie, you'll see so many of the actresses bleached, like they're literally, they're literally bleaching their skin. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a common trend in, um. In in a lot of countries in Africa, where we've been made to feel like darkness is a terrible thing, and we do anything to try to lighten ourselves, and it's it's uh, it's very sad to see.
0: Absolutely, yeah, and you know that there's a point that I want to circle back to that you made, which is why representation matters. When you said that when you wrote this character, you made him Italian because you never saw any books where there were people that looked like you that were in horror. And that's exactly why representation matters because kids only can aspire to be what they see. And if they don't see themselves in books, in movies, in, you know, other spaces, then they can't even fathom that they can be in those spaces too.
1: Exactly. And that was the issue that I had. And it was, it just, it took, um, actually, it was uh, uh, Chuck Polania. Okay. Yeah, he, I read a, a book of his called <clears throat> Invisible Monsters. And it mm-hmm. was just, it was probably the weirdest shit I've ever read. And, <laughs> and, it was, and I just loved it. And I was just like, this person is just writing whatever makes him feel comfortable to write. He's writing his own truth. And I was just like, you know what? Let me just write whatever is my truth. And if people are upset with it, they can be upset with it. If people mm-hmm. don't want to read a Black character, that's fine. There's going to be other people that will. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, I've, I've found a good amount of people that will. I need many, many more. But I've found people that will, <laughs> that will read what I'm putting out there. Right. And it, it makes me feel sort of vindicated. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. So what projects are you working on right now?
1: Um, Right now, actually, while we were waiting for things to connect, I started to write a short story. (laughs) A short story about a peeping Tom, actually, and the consequences that that will befall him by the end of it. (laughs) But more more immediately, I have um, a book called The Corruption of Philip Tolles that's coming out on December 12th. Okay, this book is about. And this is a very, it's it's a very dark book. It's about a boy who on his 13th birthday um, is found hanging from uh, a basketball rim in his um, elementary school gymnasium. Wow. And there's a note in his pocket and it implicates a teacher in his death. Uh, after the police look into what the teacher is all about they find a bunch of communications that um indicate that the boy and the teacher a female teacher were in a relationship um, wow yeah and that's the first chapter so then eventually when we go further into the story we start to see that there are other adults that were sort of responsible for everything that was going on in um in philip Tolles's life and why he became corrupted and why he became involved with his teacher And then 13 years from his death, there's somebody out there who still hasn't forgotten him, somebody that wants answers and somebody that wants revenge for what happened to him and isn't happy with how it was um, settled back in the day. So it's sort of like a a haunting sort of um, karma sort of story Mm -hmm. that that deals with a lot of, of tough issues, because one of the things that that. I am most concerned about is the treatment of children so mm-hmm. when you'll read a lot of my stories a lot of them um a lot of them circle around or have some sort of aspect with with um treating children correctly that's a lot of of what I'm trying to put out there because we can't have adult monsters unless you start to make them when they're children right and that's that's the sort of the crux of what my writing is it's like let's let's do better by the people who don't have a choice in being here. Let's raise them so that they want to be here and so that they don't feel so bitter and angry and hostile that they sort of lash out at everybody else who is here. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So where can readers find your books?
1: Uh, For the most part, you can find my books on Amazon. I know there's a lot of people that are sort of not on the Amazon train these days, but if you don't want to shop on Amazon, you can um, shop on book depository. You can shop on thrift books and you'll find a lot of my books there, or you can just Google me and um, you'll see options of where you can find my books.
0: Okay. And where can we find you on social media?
1: I am mostly on Instagram and Facebook. And um, I have the same handle on both things that keep me up at night. Okay. And yeah, Instagram is probably the, the best way to get in contact with me and see what, what, I'm, what I'm working on and what I have in store in the future.
0: Okay. Well, we have come to the end of our show and I want to thank you so much for being patient with me since my original platform didn't work and for sharing your time and talents with us today. I appreciate you so much.
1: No worries. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: Okay, great. And today's quote, you guys know I do at the end of every show. And today's quote comes from yours truly, because when I think about Black indie authors and why we do what we do, this is what I came up with. Black indie authors choose to self-publish, not for lack of talent, but to preserve the authentic voice of our narratives and protect our legacies from the whitewashed fallacies of the traditional publishing industry. Until next time, y'all, you know what to do, grab a book and read, and I'm out. You've been listening to Between the Reads. I'm your host, Audra Russell. Thanks for lending me your ear. This week's episode was brought to you by loyal Patreon supporters, author D.L. White, whose warm romantic fiction featuring Black men and women can be found at booksbydlwhite.com, Xanthine's all-natural products for the home Bath and Body, which you can find at xanthines.com. That's x-a-n-t-h-i-n-e-s.com. Paper Chase Publications, giving you books that are the ultimate in urban literature, which you can find at paperchasepublications.com. Compelling love stories, complex characters, and bold social commentary, written by A.J. Ross, whose books you can find on Amazon.com. Author Mark Avery, that's Mark with a C, whose writing tips and humor can be found at Author Mark Avery on Instagram, and by MelaninLibrary.com, bringing some melanin to your pages by giving you an ever-growing database of books by black authors, because why not? Tune in next week for another episode of Between the Reads.